listening to the Christchurch Mequon Podcast, where every day we're lifting lives and elevating Christ, a church for those not here yet. For more information and resources, visit our website, ChristchurchMequon.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this relevant message from Pastor Mike Skunas. Well, hey, good morning and welcome to Christ Church, a church about lifting lives, elevating Christ, a church for those who aren't here yet. I'm so glad that you came to join us and worship with us this morning, whether you're here in the room in the East Auditorium, whether you're worshiping with us over in West or online, it is just good for us to be together. My name is Pastor Mike. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And over the past few weeks, we have been going through a sermon series called In the Dark Streets Shineth. Because even in the middle of the Christmas season, which is so full of joy and hope, and we love all the beautiful lights and the decorations, we realize that in the middle of our lives, sometimes it feels chaotic and messy. It feels like the streets that we live in can be incredibly dark. And so we look to Jesus to be the hope and the light in the middle of our dark streets. And at Christmas time, we celebrate that Jesus enters into our world of darkness with us, that God is with us and among us in this time. And we've been going through John's Christmas story. So John wrote one of our four gospels, one of our eyewitness testaments to Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. But John's Christmas story is a little weird. It is missing all the classic things that we think about in the Christmas story, that there's no wise men, there's no shepherds, there's no angels, there's no stars, because John is more concerned about our theological understanding of Christmas rather than just recording the events that happened at Jesus's birth. And so in John's Christmas story, we have covered three different motions so far. That the beginning of John's Christmas story is calling Jesus the word of God. That he is the embodiment of God's voice in the world. And that Jesus, spiritually, even before he came as a man, existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit from the very beginning. And therefore, Jesus was a part of the world's creation from the very beginning beginning. That even before the world existed, Jesus existed. The second move that John makes in his Christmas story is to point to Jesus as a light that shines in the middle of the darkness of the world, and that that true light brings life to all that it touches. And last week, we discussed the witness of John the Baptist, who is a witness to the light, that he prepares us for the coming of Jesus Christ, and he points to that light as a witness and a testimony. So that's where we pick up in John's Christmas story today in John chapter 1, verse 10. And so if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to crack it open and follow along with us. And as a reminder, if you got a phone, you got a Bible. It's great. Um, I'm full permission to pull out the phones in church um, and follow along. Again, John 1, verse 10. So it says that he came into the very world he created, he being Jesus. That Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. 
Now, there is a lot packed into these few verses, that in these four verses, we have a lot of theology, and there's a lot to unpack here. And so today, we are going to do something what is called, uh, our fancy term for it is exegesis, which means going line by line and unpacking the interpretation of these verses, both in its context within Jesus's time and within the scriptures and unpacking what it means for us today. So you guys with me? Ready to go? All right, let's do it. All right, so the very first verse, verse 10, which says, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Again, Jesus is the word of God and was there at the creation. So it says, Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. You see, at Christmas time, we celebrate that the true light of the world, Jesus Christ, is realized, comes in flesh and blood in the form of a man named Jesus, but nobody recognizes his significance. That very few people are able to point to him and understand what God is doing by coming into the world himself to bring light and to bring salvation to his people. And this is a common theme throughout all the scriptures is that as God comes into the world, nobody seems to recognize him. And even amongst the people who follow Jesus, they also struggle to see the full significance of him being the Messiah and the savior of the world, that he is the very embodiment of God here on earth. And so there's a story from one of our other four gospels from the book of Mark, which says this, that Jesus was hanging out with his disciples, and it says that Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Essentially asking, does anybody recognize who I really am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah. And others say you are one of the prophets. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Maybe that's what other people say about me, but none of those are right. Nobody is quite recognizing me. So who is it that you say that I am? Which is where we get this famous line from Peter, one of his followers, who says, you are the Messiah. That Peter uniquely, even amongst those who follow Jesus most closely, recognized Jesus as the Messiah. That him coming into the world points to God's activity in our lives and God wanting to be with us in the physical form. And this act of recognition is one of the reasons why we celebrate some of those classic Christmas characters like the shepherds and the wise men and John the Baptist. Because it is so rare, even in Jesus' time, for people to recognize his significance in coming into the world. And so we celebrate the few people who really get it. But if we're honest, we continue to struggle with recognizing Jesus even now. That we may, you know, do it all up for Christmas and uh, we recognize that this is the time of year in which we celebrate Jesus coming into the world. But sometimes in our daily lives, Jesus comes and goes without us seeing him. 
And so there's this story that points to this lack of recognition that we sometimes have for God's presence and Jesus's presence in our lives. And it comes from the gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter. And Jesus is talking with his disciples and he is teaching them about what things are going to be like on the judgment day or when we go to be with God in heaven. And he makes this analogy where he talks about God as being like a king who gathers all his subjects together. And then divides them, those that are on his right, the people that he is pleased with, and people on his left who he is displeased with. And he says to the people that he has pointed out on his right, and he says, Blessed are you, faithful individuals, for you will inherit the kingdom of God. That you will inherit the promise of eternal life. And he said, You on my right You saw me when I was hungry, and you saw me when I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. You saw me without clothes, and you offered me something to wear. That I was a stranger, and you offered me hospitality. That I was in prison, and I was sick, and you came and visited me. And it says, then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you? When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. You see, Jesus continues to show up in our lives through the eyes of other people particularly the least among us. One of the privileges that I have as being our missions liaison on staff is that I get to work with our mission partners at Redeemer and City on a Hill. And sometimes I think we get it wrong that when we go down to serve a meal for those experiencing homelessness or we go to help provide health care for those who don't have health insurance, sometimes we tell ourselves that we are bringing Jesus to them. But for any of us that have spent any time in those ministries, we realize that Jesus is already there. That God's presence is already amongst the least of these. And they are faithful beyond imagine. And so what we do is we encounter God and we are able to serve God in a palpable way when we recognize Jesus living in our neighbor. So I ask you this, where do we fail to recognize Jesus in our lives here and now? What people or opportunities have we missed seeing the very presence of Jesus in our lives by ignoring the needs of our neighbor? Where have we failed to be able to say, oh, that is God incarnate here on earth? One of the ways that we begin to start recognizing God's presence in our lives is by taking on this discipline of telling God stories. One of the things that we have taken upon ourselves as a staff and as a leadership team, our mission support team, is that every time we gather, we start with God stories. Being able to name the moments in which we have seen God active and present in our lives during the week and in the past month. And as we do that, we begin to see that God is 
constantly active in our lives. When we begin to build that muscle of faith, being able to recognize Jesus' presence in the here and now. And I will say that it is somewhat similar to the phenomenon that if any of you guys have gotten a new car, and then as you get your new car, you're like, wow, this is the most unique car that I have ever seen in my life. And then as soon as you drive it off the lot, all of a sudden you see that car everywhere. Like a couple years ago, my wife and I, we, uh, we bit the bullet and got a uh, Honda Odyssey minivan because we got, you know, car seats that we need to do. Um, and uh, yeah, just this week as I went to Costco, I found six black Honda Odysseys on my way in between the door and my car. And uh, I only tried to get into the wrong one once. So um, that's good, right? Um, But when we begin to have faith as the vehicle that helps us navigate our lives, we begin to see and recognize Jesus' presence everywhere. And so in this Christmas season, my exhortation to you is to begin to look for the ways that God is moving and working and where Jesus is present already in the people around you. All right, back to our story, because that was just one verse. All right. Don't worry, the other ones will go faster, I promise. Um, So in verse 11, it says this. It says, he, Jesus, came to his own people, and even they rejected him. You see, at Christmas time, we celebrate that we receive Jesus, that he came to us, his people, and yet even his own people rejected him. That Jesus comes as a gift to the world, And yet, the people rejected him. And Jesus is actually fully aware that as he comes into the world, he knows that he's going to be rejected. And I don't know if it stings any less. Because he comes to the very people that he is supposed to be saving. And there's this conversation that he has with his disciples in the Gospel of Mark, in which it says, Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. You see, Jesus came to God's people, the faithful Jewish people, knowing that he would be rejected by the very people that he came to save. That Jesus knew the hardships that would befall him by coming to earth, and he chose to come anyway. And even though Jesus' rejection would lead him to the cross and to the resurrection, we still struggle with rejecting Jesus even now in our daily lives. And Jesus knows that we will continue to reject him as well, not just the people in the first century. And so Jesus at one point is having a conversation with one of these Jewish people, uh, one of these Pharisees that are well-educated in the Jewish law. Uh, His name is Nicodemus. And in the middle of their conversation, he says this. He says, God's light came into the world, and he's referencing himself, but people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. You see, Jesus understands not only that he will be rejected, but why. 
Jesus knows that as he comes into the broken world of humanity, that people will love their sin so much, they will love their own darkness, that they will try to keep themselves separated from the light. That Jesus knows that for those of us that have an affinity and a love for our own sin more than our love for God or for the people around us, some of us want to stay in that darkness and reject Jesus and keep him at arm's length. And it causes us to ask ourselves a really uncomfortable question, which is, if we have a darkness in our life, a sin in our life that helps us keep Jesus at arm's length, we have to ask ourselves, what darkness do I love more than Jesus? You see, for some of us, it might seem obvious, particularly those who have stayed away from church their whole lives, maybe for them, being confronted with their lust, maybe being confronted with their addictions has kept them from wanting to come into the light and be convicted of those sins. But I find more often than not, the people who stay away from the people of God, who refuse to come to church often do so because they see the darkness that we in the church still cling to. That in the middle of our pride and our greed, in our inability to be hospitable and merciful to people, in our own love of ourselves and our possessions, we too hold on to our darkness and keep Jesus at an arm's length away. And so my question for you is, what darkness are you still holding on to? What darkness have you chosen to love more than Jesus? Now on that happy note, <laughs> let's hop back into our story. So this third line in verse 12, it says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And this is a beautiful line. All of those who believed in him have the right to become children of God. And it may seem like this is a throwaway line for many of us because most of us don't have Jewish roots. And so for us, being children of God doesn't seem all that controversial. But back when John was writing this, this idea of who did or did not get to claim to be a child of God was very controversial. That for many people, they believe that in order to be a child of God, you must be Jewish, not only in your faith, but in your ethnic lineage. That you had to be what they would call a child of Abraham. That you would have had to have roots that traced back to the Old Testament character of Abraham and be able to trace that to your life now. And so when Jesus comes, Jesus blows up this notion of who is in and who is out of God's grace by opening up salvation, not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. And in the time of John, one of the questions that was hotly debated is this, is God's grace exclusive to a certain group of people? 
And Jesus comes as salvation and light to all, not just the Jewish people, but he comes first to the Jewish people. And as they continue to wrestle with this question, about 20 years after Jesus' death, this was still a hotly debated issue. Which people are in or out? Which people get to experience life eternal with God? Is it just Jewish people or is it non-Jewish people as well? And the Apostle Paul is speaking to this community in the area of Galatia. And he sends them a letter. And in the middle of this letter, in which they are hotly debating whether or not Jesus came for just the Jewish people or for everyone, he says this emphatically. He says, In the same way Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith, the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. Essentially, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that it is belief and not bloodline that defines the family of God. That you are welcomed into the family of God no matter where you came from and whose family you come from. But if it is true of us that the family of God is not exclusive, that we are tied together by our common belief in Jesus Christ, then the question for us is how might we still be participating in extending God's family to other people as well? To the people who may be far away from God, the people that were not raised in the church. We have this good news at Christmas time that Jesus, the very Son of God, came into the world to bring light and life And we have the privilege and the honor of extending that to other people as well by sharing that good news with others. So if the children of God are not defined by bloodline but are defined by belief, how are we extending that family? All right, our last line comes from verse 13, which says, They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from a human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So John is talking about these new children of God, these children of God that are made children of God by belief. He says, They are reborn, not with a physical birth, but a birth that comes from God. Now, if you're a guy reading this, you're probably like, eh, That's a cool metaphor. That's fine. Um, But if you're a mom, you're probably like, ha, rebirth? That sounds painful. (laughs) Now, this is not quite the metaphor that John is using, but this misunderstanding is actually taken up uh, in his conversation with Nicodemus that we had referred to earlier. That Jesus is trying to unpack what Uh, John is saying here, um, and he says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, this Pharisee, this teacher of religious law, he says, what do you mean? How can an old man like me go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replies, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So Jesus is saying that as we enter the kingdom of God, we do so being born of water and the Spirit, which sometimes we recognize as baptism, which we get to celebrate today.
and that it is the Holy Spirit that gives birth to our spiritual lives, our lives together with God. And what this means is that God has been preparing new life for us, for a life in which we are able to cast out the darkness of our own life and walk in the light of God, to be a gift to other people, and to hold on to the promise of salvation given through Jesus Christ, and this new life that is available to us now, and this new life that is promised to us in the next life comes to us through the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit gives us new life in this one and the next. Now, as I read all of these verses together, I see some common themes that tie this entire passage together. That for me, when I look at these and I find that there is such good news that even in the middle of the messiness of humanity, despite the ways in which we have failed to recognize Jesus' presence in our lives, despite the ways that we hold on to our darkness and we reject Jesus, God is making us his children anyway, and that we are still redeemed through Jesus. That even when we don't recognize him, even when we reject him, Jesus still saves us regardless. And that is an amazing expression of God's love for us. That his very mission of coming to the world through Jesus would be to say that no matter all the baggage that we carry with us, no matter our blindness and no matter our darkness, that God loves us anyway, enough to continue to save us and want eternal life together. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that even as we reject you and we fail to recognize you, that you have still come into the messiness and the chaos of our lives, into the darkness of this world to come and redeem us to give us new life that we might walk in the light now and forevermore with you. That we might be a people who are defined not by our heritage, but by our common belief in you. And so God, we ask that even as we do cling to our darkness, we both ask forgiveness and we ask for your help in laying those things aside. That for the sake of you and for the people around us, that we might love you and love our neighbors fully, being able to see them when they are hungry and thirsty, in need of somebody to visit them. Help convict us to be the people who bring your light to the people around us. And God, in this Christmas time, as you have given us the gifts of Jesus in the Christ child, give us open hearts to receive him as a gift that we might know your love and we might be able to share it with those around us. We love you so much and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Christchurch Mequon podcast. Find your next step and let us know how we can be praying for you at christchurchmequon.life slash podcast. Hit that subscribe button and until next week, God bless.